as an aside before I start, um, man, Paul is hard to preach after because the guy's preaching as he's writing these letters. It's like, all right, thanks for preaching the sermon, Paul. Um, now I got to go up here and you know say something. So, um, so we're in the sermon series looking at the this idea of Lord of blank. And this idea has been really, it's a simple idea. What does it mean to really live as with Jesus as Lord of all in our lives? In all these different areas of our lives and Man, you guys are so so lucky that I I had like I had like eight or nine I had a list of eight or nine different areas of our lives that I went through and I was like mm, November fourth we're gonna hit the word politics and then as I started to whittle it down I was like ah well that's all really kind of throughout every other one actually our politics are part of what what's part of everything that we do and so you're lucky you didn't get a politics sermon this week um, it probably would have just messed with everybody's boxes real quickly um, and so we're just gonna not do that right in the middle of an election cycle and we'll hit it some other time. We'll talk about kingdom politics. But I want to start by talking about a book that I just finished here a couple of weeks ago. It's a book that none of you are ever going to pick up and read. And so I'm just going to give you the plot line of the first half of it because it was written by a guy named Andrew Root. Andrew Root is a theology professor in North Carolina. So already most of you have gone, yep, never reading that book. All right. And the book's title, if you were not swayed by that, the book's title is called Faith Formation in a Secular Age. Um, It's a great book, dense book, great book, dense book, great book to read before you need to go to bed. Hard to figure out where you finally nodded off at Um, and and to start back where you remember, all right? But it's a great book. And he talks about this idea of what does it look like to, to form ourselves in the way of Jesus Christ in the midst of what we call, he calls secular ages. And he breaks this out into really difficult things. But really, his big idea is that there was a dramatic cultural shift that occurred in the mid 20th century. Really, it showed up, this cultural shift showed up in a big way, but it was already happening before then. He makes the case for that. But this big idea was something that happened in the mid-20th century. Many of you lived in this era, or many of you were born around these times, but in the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, largely, there was a major cultural shift that occurred. And before that time, generations that were prior to that and lived a lot of their life before that, a lot of the things that mattered deeply to them were ideas like duty and conformity and being like everyone else and acting like other people. There was an idea that, you know, you got this out of a, you did this as a sense, out of a sense of duty and out of a sense of, of, of this is what you're supposed to do as a, as a person or as an American or as a citizen or as a something or other. And then something changed in, in, in the, mid, the mid-20th century that, 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 that kind of pushed that idea of duty and conformity to the side And the word that Andrew Root says started to characterize every decade after that is a word that he called authenticity. That authenticity became the thing. That being as authentic as possible to who you were at your deepest, most inner, heart-level things was what you were supposed to do. And the more you could live in authentically to the authentic human experience, the authentic what it means to be as part of your base emotional desires, your base heart desires, that's what you should yearn after. And so it led to things like the sexual revolution, 
authenticity is realizing I'm a sexual being and I need to, I have desires and cravings. I need to authentically live into those things. It led to things like a lot more protests than we had seen before then because I authentically believe that's horrible and I'm going to authentically hold a sign and do a bunch of other things because that's important to me. I got to be authentic to who I am. I got to, I got to do that. All right. And so it showed up in, in everything from all of that to, to drug use, which is the idea that I can be more authentically me if I take things to make me not like me. But it, yeah, that was a lot of the thought process is I'll become more in touch with my inner self if I take these things, if I do this stuff to myself. And so it led to the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll culture, this whole idea, that all this changing thing. And, and while a lot of that stuff, some of that stuff has changed, Andrew makes the point that it really hasn't. Authenticity still is very, very important. Maybe the most important cultural standard of our day. Most of us in this room have either grown up or lived the majority of our lives under a cultural narrative that told us authenticity was the primary thing that we need to go and to live after. Even if you were born prior to that point, you've lived probably now more decades in this age of authenticity than you did prior to the age of authenticity by this point in time. Buy what you want. I do what I want, all right? You live only once, YOLO. All these phrases that have come up and, 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 and have been used, fulfill the desires of your heart. Just, just do whatever makes you happy, man, all right? All of these different things are part of this idea. Live as authentically as possible, all right? Just listen to your heart. Just do what you think is possible. I can't look at Catherine without thinking of her saying that um, in a joking way to me all the times. And quite frankly, because most of us never think about it, most of us, to some degree or another, we chase after this cultural ideal at some degree or another. We chase after this idea of do what I want, buy what I want, take what I want, just fulfill the desires of our hearts. But if we're honest, as we've done it, most of us struggle to find that fulfillment and joy that was supposed to be the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow of authenticity. We do what we want, we desire, and we, we engage authentically with this human experience, whatever that means, um, and this is authentically with, with all these different things, and we were told that if we do that enough, then what we'll find at the end of the magical Lucky Charms rainbow is this pot of gold of fulfillment and joy and, and, and self-actualization and just feeling like everything's coming together. I am who I was originally intended to be. And yet most of us that have chased down that path realize it's just not there. And so then we are left with this choice. Are we going to double down, live even more authentically, get even crazier, do even more things that seem like we're supposed to do, or are we going to try a different way? And go with me here. I think with what Paul is talking about here in this Galatians passage, he's giving us another way. He's telling us that there's a different way we can live that maybe is still authentic, but maybe is authentic to something a little bit different than what we've been told over and over again that we need to be authentic to, that we need to live authentically out of when we're told, just go get what you want, do what you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody, do whatever you want to, YOLO, you only live once, all right? Those types of things. If you don't know what that is, that's like a teenage thing. I'm totally saying that for the kids in the back um, that are back there. YOLO is a, is a teenage thing. Um, it's actually pretty old now, but... Um, and so we get to this Galatians passage, 
And what Paul tells us very simply, breaking down this passage, he says, he, says, he, he kind of creates this dichotomy, this idea that, that there's two different ways that we can possibly live. He gives us this, and you might say, well, this is a false dichotomy. It seems like an oversimplification. I'd say, well, it's Paul. That's what he does. All right? He kind of simplifies things down easily for us to capture and understand what he's talking about. And he says, there's this way, this one side that's called walking in the flesh, uses the word flesh to talk about. He says you can walk according to the desires of the flesh. You can walk according to those types of desires as we're talking about this. Or you can live out of walking in the spirit. And he creates this dichotomy, this idea that you can do one or the other. And he pretty much creates there's no way to do them both. He says there's one or the other. But before we kind of talk about what that looks like, we got to understand what Paul is talking about when he talks about the flesh. Because quite frankly, I've been around the church long enough that I've realized that when we talk about the flesh, everyone goes to sexual immorality, pornography, and all those things, which is all part of the list that he gives. I get that. It's definitely part of it. But it's a bigger word than just what we think of as being the flesh. It's a bigger word. It's anything that's lived out of our human fallen heart's desires. It's any way of living in which we do what we want because that's just what our heart wants and desires. It's the unredeemed heart's desires is the flesh of what Paul is talking about. It's a big, expansive category. And on the other side of things, when he talks about the spirit, remember, I keep going back to this in this series, and I'm not really sure why, but good Trinitarian theology reminds us the spirit way is the Jesus way is the father way. There aren't three different ways here. There's one way, all right? And then they just happen to be three manifestations of that same way, all right? And so when you talk about the way, it's walking in the way of the spirit, it better look a lot like walking in the way of Jesus, um, because that's what it is. Um, that's what it is. It's based thing. This idea of the redeemed heart's desires, the heart that's been transformed and molded and shaped to look more and more like Jesus's. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying that authenticity is not the issue here. It's not being authentic is the issue here. The issue is what are we going to be authentic to? He says, you can live authentically to your heart's desires. You can live out of your flesh authentically to to this fallen human heart, this fallen human nature. Or as believers in Jesus, we have the ability that we can act and live authentically out of the redeemed heart, the way of the spirit that he has given to each and every person who believes in him. What are we going to live authentically to? And I love it. Paul tells us exactly what it looks like to do it either way. He then turns around and he says, well, you can walk in the way of the flesh, and this is what it looks like. This is a great list, folks. This is wonderful. Brian did a great job of not getting like red in the face as he was reading these words. It's great. This is one of those words I love to put in front of our teenagers and just watch them look at the words, and they get to a certain point, and they're like, oh, do I have to really say that word? Um, it's in the Bible. Sorry. Um, it is. The acts of the flesh in verses 19 and 20 are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. All right, we all kind of probably sit there at that point in the list and we're like, all right, I think for the most part, uh, you know, I'm I'm decently good at this point in time. We kind of go, okay, yeah, well, those are definitely like horrible, horrible things. But the list kind of changes in the middle here. Hatred. Ever hated anybody? Discord. Ever created strife in a situation, a family, an organization before, or been a part of that happening? 
jealousy. Ever wanted anything and think someone else had? Fits of rage. If rage thinks it's too big, just fits of anger. Someone who needs a little anger management help, which is all of us at some point in time. There's always something that we need some anger management help with. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Factions. And envy. Man, that center part of that list all of a sudden starts to get real close to home for me. The first few things, I'm like, well, good thing I don't do witchcraft. All right, we're good. All right. (laughs) I get to the middle of this list and I go, okay, why do we have to go there? All right. That hurt a little bit more, Paul. And then he goes back to to sort of some things we kind of go, you know, drunkenness, orgies. All right. You know, most of us probably are like, okay, I get that. And then he says, and the like. This is not a comprehensive list. He didn't give us every last piece of this. He just gave us a flavor of what it looks like to live out of the flesh. The list goes on from there and the like and some extra things that he just was like, ah, I'm getting bored of saying things. So, and there's more stuff. This is what it looks like to live out of the acts of the flesh, the unredeemed heart. And quite frankly, while many of us have been around the church long enough to know that when Paul says don't do these things, we go, well, you shouldn't do those things. If we look at the list... Most of these things start off as things we do or engage in because they make us feel good at some level or another. That affair felt good when we first decided to have it. It only got muddled once it kind of got past a point and an issue there. That hatred felt so good because I was so sure I'm right and they're wrong. So it felt good to hold the grudge against that person and to not like that person. Because as much as we want to love everybody, the one thing we want to do more than love everybody is in our unredeemed heart, we want to we love the people who hate the same people as we do, all right? And hate the same stuff as we do. We want to have a common enemy, all right? Hmm. Man, it felt good to envy that thing. It felt like it was something actually that I should be striving after. Like, like if I can't have it, then I might as well like not like them for, for having it as well in the midst of it. My rage felt so righteous when I was engaged with it. It made me feel good to have this. They all seem so authentic to our basic human desires, our basic heart, our our desires for notoriety at times, our desires to have more, our desires for whatever. But look, look at the list again. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, witchcraft, hatred, discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. My question to you is, is that while they may seem pleasurable at first, while they may seem authentic at first, is this really the world we want to build together? While my hatred may seem righteous at first, is do I really want to build a world? Do I want to build a world where my children are going to see more dissensions and factions and hatred and envy and jealousy and fits of rage and things like that around me? Is that really the authenticity that we're looking for here? Is that really the type of thing that we want our children to live up into? Is that really the type of world that we think God wants to build through us? Paul's answer is no. They certainly fall short to the life of the full that Jesus promises in the Gospel of John. 
And so then Paul turns his gaze. He says, but the way, the fruit of the Spirit, the way of the Spirit looks vastly different. We talk about this, the fruit of the Spirit, and I can't help because now I have kids that are in the children's ministry program, and so I see grapes and peaches and everything else in my head because they always play off this idea of fruit. But let's just remind ourselves, fruit is just a thing that's produced out of a tree or from a plant that lives and is cared for and acts and, and engages the certain way. It's what is, it's the product of doing something a certain way. All right? That's all that the word fruit really means. It's a product of doing something. And so he says the fruit of the Spirit, the product of living in the ways of the Spirit, the product of living out the way of Jesus, the product of letting God redeem, transform, and shape your heart to look like his is another list. Paul loves lists. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, that word means patience for those of you who didn't do well on the SAT like I did. Didn't do well either. Um, kindness, <laughs> goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That list is not nearly as flashy as the first list. It doesn't create headlines like the first list does. It doesn't, doesn't make us go, wow, look at those things like they did the first list did. But just imagine with me for a minute. Some of you might have to close your eyes for this. Just don't fall asleep, all right? Because it's a little bit hard to imagine. But just imagine for a, with me for a minute a world where people dealt lovingly with each other all the time. When people dealt peacefully with each other. Let's, let's, get it out, let's get it down from people. Let's, live in a, let's imagine a world where the church, the people who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, dealt lovingly all the time, peacefully all the time, joyfully all the time, patiently, kindly, faithfully, gently, and controlled with each other and with those around them. Imagine how different Tuesday's election would look if those were the things that characterized our world. Imagine how different the political division, the social media posts, the disagreements, the relationships in our lives and quite frankly, almost every other area of our life because as much as some of you and I am with you would love to live as recluses, we still have to deal with people. How different things would look if we let the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives. How different things would be. You see, in the end, walking authentically in step with the Spirit is walking authentically to exactly who you are if you profess the words, Jesus is Lord of my life. That is not authenticity. That fleshly stuff is not authentic to who you are anymore. Your new identity, if you proclaim Jesus is Lord of my life, is that I am a redeemed son and daughter of the Most High King. I am someone he has saved and redeemed, and his work in my life should reflect that authentically. To live out of our fleshly desires anymore 
is not authentic to the who we are anymore. That is the old man and the new man or new old person and the new person has now come to steal Paul's words from another letter. This is not authentic anymore. This now is authentic to who we are. Because as Paul says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, which is a fancy word for put to death, the flesh, with its passions and its desires. And so some of you will say this is something uh, that a 30-year-old probably shouldn't say who didn't live through the 1960s and deal with the hippies and the revolutionaries, and I just happen to be, you know, uh, a son of some that lived through that. Um, <laughs> I don't think you guys were hippies, though. Um, but I think there's something rather powerful we can learn from the hippies and the revolutionaries of the mid-20th century that is actually an important lesson that the church has sometimes missed. Authenticity does matter. It matters immensely. It matters more than so many other things that we place above living authentically to who we are. They thought about living authentically to the ways of our unredeemed human hearts, and that is where they got it wrong, was what they were living authentically for and what they were living authentically into. Paul tells us where that goes, and he says, you've got a choice. You can do that if you really want to, but it leads to a certain destination. It leads to certain places. It leads to a certain type of world that we see all too clearly, all too obviously in our world today, and quite frankly, all too obviously in our churches today. Or we can ask God to transform our hearts. We can seek his face and ask him to help us to live authentically into our renewed and redeemed identity as people of the Most High King, children of his who are redeemed, are made new, and now have the ability through his spirits dwelling within us to actually live that out on a regular basis. Quite frankly, I want to live in a more loving world. I want to live in a more joyful world. I would love to live in a more peaceful world, a more patient world, a more kind world, a gooder, better world, a more faithful world, a more gentle world, and a more self-controlled world. Right now, I think sometimes, and not necessarily this church body, but in the church in general, I would just live, I would settle for, I want to I be a part of a God's universal church that is more loving and more joyful and more peaceful and more patient and more kind and more gooder and more faithful and more gentle and more self-control. Folks, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for the sins of the world, but he died not just so that you would have, I've got my little heaven and I'll fly away someday, but his bigger picture was something, his picture was much bigger than just that. He died and rose from the grave so that we might live into the ways of his kingdom on earth as they are in heaven. He resurrected from the grave, broke in, resurrection broke into the course of history to show us what the kingdom of God looks like. And then he sent his spirit to dwell with us so we could live into that kingdom, its ways and its means today, authentically as his people, so that his kingdom, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, 
would be built on earth as it is in heaven. And so, folks, this morning, as we finish up this time, we were going to do communion this morning. And uh, as seeing all the bread that was left over from the uh, meal last night, I sort of wondered whether we should do that, actually. Um, just to, but I decided I think this is a time of prayer for us. I think this time is a time for us to pray in response because quite frankly, what I see in me, I'm not going to say this is what I see in you because it's not for many of you, but you might see it when you look in the mirror. What I see in me is I see all too often living authentically to the ways of the Spirit gets, gets pushed to the side because I want to live authentically to the ways of the flesh because at first they make me feel good. The hatred makes me feel like I'm righteous and I'm right and they're wrong. The envy makes it like, well, if they have it and I can't have it, I'm going to at least not like them for it. And I find this as an inner struggle with that I have all the time. And all I can come back to is that it takes prayer and seeking after the Spirit who promises that he will come. If we will open the door and allow him to have full reign in our hearts and our lives, he will come and he will transform and shape our desires so that they look like his and so that we and our hearts beat for the things that his heart beats for. So this time we're going to have a song. We're going to have our worship team to start making their way up here. We have a song. The words are simple. Here's my heart, Lord. That's the basic refrain. And at the end it goes then to here's my life, Lord. It's a prayer. And so if those are the words that you need to pray this morning, then pray those words as you sing or pray those words on your own. If you need to pray different words, that's okay too. We don't like track what words come out of your mouth while the song's playing. Um, you're allowed to pray whatever. If you need to come to an altar here to have a place to get away from everybody else because the person next to you is distracting to you and you need a place to pray that's just no one else and me and God, come to an altar, find a quiet space, get out of your chair, feel free to do that. This is meant to be a time of response and reflection, asking for the God spirit to come to indwell us, to shape and transform our hearts to look like his. Would you pray with me?